WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 134, all about the first adaptation of The Hobbit, being the 134th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Jason Hilton. He is the producer of the Movie Night Crew podcast and also a frequent guest on the Restricted section. Welcome, Jason. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, Usually when I reach out to the creators at the Movie Night Crew network, I like to get as many of them on as possible because it's fun to create that chaotic energy but for what i have in mind for this episode which Mm -hmm. is a little bit different listeners it'll be much better with just two people and you'll see that in a second um and jason hasn't been on yet so i thought it would be a good opportunity no it's my first time i'm excited not only welcome not only excited (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've never been on someone else's network before it's interesting. It's <laughs> not. It it's no, no, it's the exact same thing. But <laughs> um, Well, why don't you tell me and the listeners how you got into Lord of the Rings and what your experience is with, with, that, with the universe? <sighs> oh, boy. Let me <laughs> Big take sigh. You, let, me t- <laughs> let me take you back to a time called 2001. So uh, it comes as no surprise to probably you or any of the listeners that my dad got me into Lord of the Rings. Um, I've been... I've been kind of realizing in, in like recent years, especially with Dune coming out, I feel like people of our generation either had a dad that was super into Lord of the Rings or was super into Dune because they're both kind of similar in those respects. But my dad was like super into Lord of the Rings for his entire life. Every, I think I think ever since Led Zeppelin got into Lord of the Rings, my dad has been into Lord of the Rings, you know, so like yeah. a long time. And uh, so... I think it was around the time the movie came out, The Fellowship of the Ring, and he, uh, I believe he had already seen it twice in the movie theater, and he was trying to, like, (laughs) very subtly kind of, you know, get me into it, so he just kind of, like, sat me down one day, and and I was 10, and uh, he gave me, like, a really pretty rough summary of The Hobbit, and then he um, just, but he really wanted to focus on how it transitions into Lord of the Rings with the ring kind of being the catalyst the link between the two things. And um, he was just like, oh, it's about, you know, this this ring that he finds and it actually belongs to like this some dark lord like 10,000 years ago. And it's it, it, it someone cut it off his finger and then it's found like thousands of years later. And that connection between the two stories just like I immediately, it immediately fascinated me. Um, I thought that was just like an ingenious way to make a sequel. So, so my dad was trying to get me excited into Tolkien. And the only thing we had at the time was the Hobbit cartoon. Um, the, the one from the seventies, which have you done? You've done that one, right? Yes. Yeah. The yes. one by Rankin and Bass. Yeah. The Rankin and Bass one. Yeah. Um, so I mean that, I mean, I don't know how you feel about that cartoon, but it has, it does have a lot of nostalgic value it's for okay. me. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's like a decent adaptation, uh, yeah. as best as you could do in under an hour. And, um, but yeah, that one has a lot of nostalgic value for me and, um, I, I I was the riddles of the dark scene, you know, got me immediately fascinated. I was like, I need to see like more of this like world. And so mm-hmm. my dad took me to see Lord of the Rings and um, I continued to see it three more times in theaters. Um, I was really <laughs> obsessed with it. Um, and and I even like as soon as the DVD came out, I bought it and watched it like 
I'm not even joking, like every day after school, like, (laughs) like, it was a time. And, and I didn't ever read the books. Um, I actually didn't read the books until I started listening to your podcast, actually. Uh, Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, um, I think it was because you started right before you started like the year before quarantine, I started the summer of 2019. Okay, that must have been it. And I remember around that time, um, it might have taken me a few year, a few months to get into it, but you were kind of like inspiring me to read it because I'm a terrible reader, and um, it takes me same. It takes same. Me, yeah, it <laughs> takes me so long to finish a book, and but I kind of just went with your formula, just like chapter by chapter, just like take it slow because like the the writing has always been intimidating to me. The length has always been intimidating to me. Like my dad, like one time gave me a copy of the Silmarillion, um, the night before school. You know when like. That's terrifying. Well, no, it's it was it was it was kind of funny. Like, do you know you know like that day before school when you're still on like you know your summer schedule and you can't quite go to sleep like the night before? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was having a little trouble and I was it was getting way past my bedtime and my dad just like gave me the chapter or he gave me the Silmarillion and he said read the first chapter. I was out in like <laughs> ten pages. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a exciting thing for me to hear. Considering I will be uh, I like. As we're recording this, I really need to start reaching out to guests for the Silmarillion yeah. episodes, which it's, is crazy. So it's interesting. It, it always reminds me of that one part in I think it was Star. It was Star Wars: The Last Jedi, where um, oh yes, another series I famously know a lot about. Ah uh, yes. Wait, are you being sarcastic or? No, I have never seen any Lord, any um, oh. Star Wars. Oh, okay. Which is fine. I n- never discourage my guests from talking about Star Wars because there's a 99% chance listeners know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so um, the the part in Last Jedi where the ghost of, of Yoda sets aflame uh, Luke's house, which has all these like ancient Jedi texts in them. And he's just like screaming at Yoda and he says... But but those were the sacred texts. And then he goes, mm, page turners, they were not. It's just like, that's how I kind of feel about the Silmarillion. It's really, really mm-hmm. interesting, but it's not a page turner. It's a sacred text, not yeah. a page turner. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, you know what? It's kind of how I feel about all of Tolkien's writings. <laughs> it's like, I sacred appreciate text, what you did. <laughs> not a page turner. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I read the, the trilogy, I guess, uh, between... 2019 2020 and then i read the hobbit and then i read the silmarillion um i've seen pretty much every adaptation of the of lord of the rings except the one we're gonna look at today yes excellent segue wow like you can tell i've done this done what um so today listeners like i said uh something a little bit different is in store we are going to be discussing the first ever adaptation of the hobbit and Instead of watching it ahead of time and going through it, you know, chronologically or scene by scene or whatever, like uh, I usually do, we are actually going to watch it and have our quote unquote live reactions. Um, Obviously, they won't be live when the episode comes out because it'll be a recording by then. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) for us, we will be reacting to it and recording kind of a commentary. So if you want to, you can uh, sync up. You can pull up the video yourself and sync up the the podcast and watch along with us. Um, But the reason I decided to do that is because this is only an 11 minute video. It's very short. Mm -hmm. So um, it's only going to even watching it in full with with no cuts is only going to take up, you know, uh, 
A fifth a of our fourth, time. Yeah. A fifth of the podcast episode. Um, and then afterwards, we will discuss what we witnessed, whether mm-hmm. it was great, whether it was terrifying, whether it was uh, forgetful. Yeah. We'll see. We're going in pretty blind because I've, I've only... I didn't even look up the plot on Wikipedia. I've only looked up like some production trivia mm-hmm. and then screenshots. That's all I've seen. Yeah, I've seen screenshots as well. The video that I'm going to reference that I watched um, to get some notes and background information, I skipped forward. He did a like plot synopsis and I skipped forward through all of that because I wanted to see it for myself with you. Mm-hmm. So I will leave a link to both the adaptation of the hobbit on uh on youtube um and a link to this video that i'm gonna reference in a second both of those will be in the episode description definitely go check them out so before we decide before we watch it and and commentate commentary to date yeah some history about this because it is really it is really interesting um and i find that i love learning uh, a lot more about like the history of uh, of these obscure niche exactly you know productions that I've been doing rather than like I find that more interesting than whatever the content itself is. Are you talking about like some of the like like the 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 Soviet ones or like the Soviet movies or the, the Soviet the Soviet Union ones are so interesting. Learning about there's not much known about like how they came about, but what I have learned, like for example, the Lord of the Rings adaptation when it was uh, posted to YouTube last year, one of the actors came out and said that it took. Um, about nine hours for them to film and it was filmed within the span of one week <laughs> okay that makes a lot of sense now I've, I've, which i i love that I, that's amazing <laughs> i i watched the the lord of the rings i haven't seen the hobbit one but i've seen the lord of the rings one and i was watching it with tina and Haley, and the entire time we were just like i think what upset me more than anything was that gandalf didn't have a hat it just bugged me. Yeah, he. Uh, I said he looks like a, a Shakespeare actor um, oh, yeah. in that version. He has like a um, that one's kind of Elizabethan hard. wig, yeah. of some kind. Yeah, he looked. Yeah, I remember him having like a some kind of purple shawl or anything. It was like the farthest yeah, he, thing from gray. Yeah, it was closer it's very to, odd. It was closer to my like Saruman in many colors costume. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. I. So okay. I don't know if I. I don't know if I've talked about that on the on the podcast. So yeah. Go back ahead. In November, Haley, friend of the pod um, from Restricted Section, had a birthday party and it was Hobbit themed. And I was literally, that was the ironic part. I was I didn't get the message that we should dress up. And the week before, I had just dressed up as Aragorn for Halloween. <laughs> if I had known that, I would have chosen a different Halloween costume and then done Aragorn the following week. But mm-hmm. I didn't get the message and I showed up in just like jeans and my flannel shirt. <laughs> and every Everyone else is like decked out in Lord of the Rings gear, Hobbit gear, and Jason is wearing a Saruman costume. And then, like underneath the white robe, is this bright rainbow, like tie dye. Is it a dress or like a shirt? Weirdly <laughs> enough, you can buy it on Amazon. It's made by Hanes. It's like listed as a tie dye. Um, was it a it's ni- probably a sleep shirt? A night shirt, I think. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. is the technical term. And then I wore some like linen pants under it that were white, and some sandals that I had. And then the hardest thing I did was getting the cloak down because I believe the the the, the description was it shimmered in many different colors as it waved or something like that. And then immediately yeah. made me think iridescent, so I put I lined an entire like wizard cloak and iridescent 
uh, spandex, and then I made a pretty movie-accurate um, Saruman staff, and I got the wig and the beard. I, I felt I was running at risk of um, outshining the birthday girl, but I think she she appreciated either way. <laughs> but the, just the fun part about that costume is that, like, I immediately understood that you were Saruman of, of many colors. Yes, and it's so hard to find, like, fan art of it. And I just kind of wanted to embrace how silly the costume would look. It was smart decision great. not smart decision not to I put it in the movie. I had literally just watched it cuz I was I remember I was late to the Hobbit birthday party because I was watching Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Oh, huh. Um and oh yeah, has, that does like, have the. He opens his, he opens his cloak the, and like a rainbow emits. Although I think he's wearing a red cloak in that version. Yep, that but like I had, but like just his head, his voice echoing Saruman of many colors was like in my head, fresh. And I show up, and everyone's just decked out in Hobbit gear, and uh, the food and drinks are all themed. It was a merry time. I don't know if I think Brooke went out and got Mathams for everyone. Hobbits at their birthday parties give the party attendees presents. presents. Yeah. And so she had gone to the dollar store and gotten all these like random little knickknacks <laughs> and wrapped them up and Haley passed them out to everyone. I got squirrel uh, salt and pepper shakers. Oh. <laughs> that I, I got a back scratcher that I didn't even know I got like someone opened my thing for me and then they just left it at tina's house and now it's an official cat scratcher so okay Um, speaking of that was a that was a really long tangent just to say that jason had a great saruman of many colors costume (laughs) the one and only (laughs) this is the first ever adaptation of the hobbit it quote-unquote premiered on june 30th 1967 this video that i'm going to reference on YouTube for all of this information is called The First and Worst Adaptation of The Hobbit by Dominic Noble. So huge shout out to him. I think I reached out to him many months ago and was like, do you have any interest in coming on the the podcast ever? And then I don't think he ever got back to me. So Dominic, Mm. if you happen to be listening... You can come on sometime in the future. You seem very knowledgeable. Maybe a Silmarillion episode? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll leave a link to that in the episode description. Definitely watch it. It's really the way he like pieces together this story um, is really well done. I said, quote unquote, premiered because the rights that they had acquired for this version of The Hobbit were running out. And in order to keep them, they had to premiere the movie by... June 30th, 1967, Mm -hmm. or it would get lost. They premiered it by um, the creative behind it who made it, essentially. Mm -hmm. Gene Deitch stood outside a movie theater. I can't remember where it premiered in the U.S. He stood outside a movie theater, asked people walking by if they would like to see a movie. Uh Um, They would only (laughs) have to pay a dime. And for people who didn't want to pay a dime, he would hand them a dime and then they would give him the dime back. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so they went in and watched this 11-minute movie of The Hobbit and then probably went on their day and had no idea that they would be the only people to see this movie until it was unearthed um, by the uh, production company's owner's son and posted to YouTube in 2012. So between 1967 and 2012, kind of similar to the Lord of the Rings uh, Soviet adaptation, it was thought to be, I guess, lost or, or forgotten exactly, to time. Exactly, yeah. 
um, and then someone discovered it and posted it. So we appreciate them for that. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that weird how copyright like law works? As long as you make something, you you get to hold on to the rights. It's so interesting what happened. So William Snyder founded Remembrant Films, and Remembrant Films is a animation studio in I don't remember what country, but they are not in the United States. And they do animation for, um, I think famously, they did animation for Tom and Jerry and Popeye. Yes. So that film studio, founded by William Snyder, bought the rights for uh, the film rights for The Hobbit very cheaply. Um, I don't know how much they originally paid, but it was very inexpensive when they bought the rights because this was before Lord of the Rings became popular in the U.S. Um, it right. wasn't until the second edition of Lord of the Rings had been published in the United States in the 60s that The Hobbit also started picking up yeah. um, speed. Until then, it was kind of just like an unknown yeah. unknown story to, you know, the average American. And then the hippies took it up. Yes, and then <laughs> they took it up. <laughs> the other key character in this story, who I, th- I think I've already mentioned his name, Gene Deitch, was the main creative mind at Remembrant Films. And he's the one who, quote unquote, animated this and did the art and story for it. <laughs> quote unquote. So when they so when they bought the film rights, the stipulation was that they needed to premiere a fully colored and animated film on or before June thirtieth of nineteen sixty seven, or else the um, license would be returned to. Tolkien. I don't know if like it went directly to the man Tolkien himself, or if there was like a Tolkien estate. I, I don't know if the at Tolkien estate time, was a thing yet. But it would have gone back to Tolkien. Yeah, there's another movie story that. Have you ever heard of this Lost Fantastic Four movie? No. So uh, okay. I love Lost movies. I'm like, how do you lose a movie? This is a. <laughs> it's a really similar story, honestly. It's um back. This was made back in like I think the early 90s and that was back when there was no marvel stuff out at all there was a hulk tv show in the 70s and um making movies for marvel was kind of hard at that time period because you have things like spider-man you have things like thor and iron man like how the hell could you do that back then so but they this weird studio had the rights to a fantastic four movie they probably probably bought it really cheap because marvel was actually kind of bankrupt during the 80s and the 90s they were kind of struggling and uh uh, it, it was made like really super cheap, really super quick. And the actors, uh, were under the, the impression that it was a real movie. Um, it was never intended to be released and they just kind of shelved it. And, um, it's, I've watched it. It's actually like, it's old, it's old, but, and it's cheap, <laughs> but it's got a lot of heart to it. It's got a lot of weird, like low budget charm to it. It's weirdly one of the better fat, um, Fantastic Four adaptations that's out there. But yeah, it was just created to keep the rights, which I, I think is just so strange. It's like, I just, you just throw yeah. so much money at something to not release it. Uh, but yeah, I don't understand. And it. so that's <laughs> actually where Remembrant fr- Films went wrong with the hobbit so william snyder was in negotiations with 20th century fox to produce like a full-length feature film about the hobbit um and in like budget negotiations he kept asking he was asking for a pretty big budget and seems like he wouldn't make any compromises and so they 
lost out basically and 20th century fox did not pick it up and the hobbit was not produced it wasn't until uh like a month before the license was going to be revoked that they came up with this plan they made the shortest cheapest quickest possible version of the hobbit and then premiered it quote unquote again premiered uh on june 30th and because they did that they were able to keep the license then they sold it back to Tolkien for $100,000, which in today's terms is close to $800,000. I don't, I still don't understand like how that was, like how are you able to do that just because you, you know, premiered this film and then you're able to keep the license. Yeah, it's like a weird technicality thing. It's like you can technically release a movie anywhere, you know, I guess. Yeah. They definitely played off of all of those loopholes. Mm-hmm. I think when they, after I think after they premiered it and they were able to keep the license, I think they were planning to possibly, you know, to make the feature, the full film eventually. But that obviously, I guess at some point it became clear that wasn't going to happen. And then with the rising popularity of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, they were able to sell it back to Tolkien. Rewinding a bit, Focusing now more a little bit on Gene Deitch. Um, He, when they acquired the rights, started out like full on planning of this movie. He put a lot of like time and thought into it. And the notes that he wrote about the animation style sound like it would have been really groundbreaking animation, pretty close to the rotoscoping that Ralph Bakshi would do 10 years later. Uh, Okay. So... At the time, he was really putting in a lot of work, a lot of thought, um, a lot of like new uh, creativity into animation. Uh, it's kind of making me sad a little bit. Yeah, it it gets <laughs> sad. Planning to, you know, at the thinking, oh, we're going to make this full film, and then William Snyder goes in and screws the whole thing over by not landing a you know budget deal with 20th Century Fox. Mm. So. All of these plans that Deitch had been creating mm-hmm. got totally scrapped and made down to the shortest possible cut of the film. Oof. And Dominic Noble makes the joke in his video that it was the Snyder cut. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Even sadder. So when he was paid, uh, the way he was paid was based on whatever the film that he worked on eventually made. Mm-hmm. But because The Hobbit... Like, he put in all this time and energy and effort into it, and then it never, you know, it got cut down to that this 10-minute film and then released and made no money. He basically didn't get any pay for all of the work that he put into planning it. Oh. In addition to that, he did not receive any of the $100,000 that William Snyder sold the rights oh, back to Tolkien. Typical. Typical. Yeah. That's bullshit. But yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Upon William Snyder's death, it was I, I I don't know if it was like immediately in reaction to Snyder's death or if it was uh, a couple years after. But long story short, Deitch made a blog post about uh, his friendship and relationship with William Snyder. And while he wasn't uh, like overtly 
he wasn't like purposefully trying to be mean. The way that he described the relationship was very toxic oh, and almost no. abusive. I I, ha- I didn't read the full blog post, but he definitely spilled the tea. Oh my god! Again, as Dominic Noble said on Snyder, um, and then Deitch died. I think in 2020 recently. Really? That's the story. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. the backstory of this animated version of The Hobbit. Um, Uh, So now, listeners, we will go ahead and watch it. (laughs) All right, let's, yeah, we've we've talked for how long and we actually haven't gotten to the thing yet? Listeners, if you would like to, if you're, you know, driving, obviously don't do this. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're at home and you want to, you can pull up the video on YouTube and watch along with us. If you are driving, you can just skip ahead the next 10 minutes and come back to our commentary. All right. Three, two, one, play. All right. Well, we're in Russia. It looks pretty. Okay, so we're in Dale. You're right. It does look very Russian. What? And ruined magic. Men came to power and ruined magic. Typical men. Interesting. The Arkansas is in the shape of a heart. Oh! I just... Ooh. That's right. Slag the Terrible. Yes, I've heard (laughs) that uh, Sauron... (laughs) Sorry. ...is Slag. The illustrations are pretty, but it's definitely not animated. No. Oh, wait. Torin Oakenshield. Sorry, oh what? Oh my god, we have a female character! Oh my god, they did it before Jackson. So our three main characters, it looks like, are the Watchmen, Torin Oakenshield, and this princess. Okay, and now we're at the title credits. Yeah, so far, this is like kind of... It looks like storybook. It, it's almost like uh, watercolored paintings yeah. um, that are just. Did you ever? Actually, I'll, I'll ask after we finish okay. this. Kind of looks like a South Park cartoon. The who's what? The Tower of Gra- Gandalf. Gandalf the doesn't Grey? have a tower. Slag. Why do they call it slag? Yeah. Ooh, he's scary uh-uh, looking. I don't like this Gandalf. <laughs> the music under the Shire is delightful. Yeah, so far this is kind of cute. And the Shire looks pretty. Okay. Bilbo. Sitting next to his fire. Looks like. Why does he have a pig? The- what? He has a painting of a dragon above his fireplace. That he's slaying. Maybe it's just... His time had come. That's so ominous. Oh, my God. Maybe it was just an art piece above his fireplace. (laughs) What? 
So I guess they've like gotten rid of any idea of like Erebor and going to get the treasure for the dwarves. Right. Yeah. It's just about slaying yeah. the dragon. They're, they recruited this three foot tall gardener <laughs> to slay a dragon. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, the prophecy. The prophecy. <laughs> then don't go at all. So the princess is, is now the princess is now trying to convince Bilbo to come and slay this dragon that killed her. You're doing dad. a much better job of commentating than I. I feel am. like we gotta show what's going on. Ah, <laughs> uh, so Bilbo said. You can't let her do this alone. And Gandalf is like, great, exactly. so you'll go with her. Uh-huh. Bye. Ah, yes. The perfect guardian for a princess. Bilbo. Okay. Hobbits eat a lot in this version. That's right. Wow, this is kind of cool. <laughs> That's true. Gandalf the Grey watched from his own distance. Okay, they got that part right. Wow. It looks... Oh! Oh! Oh, we are the trolls. We have a very graphic illustration of the trolls roasting a sheep over the fire as if it was a marshmallow. It's just straight, like, it's not even, like, uh, shaved or anything. It's just a stick going through a sheep, and there's two trolls instead of three. And, like, the fire is bright red instead of orange, which makes it look more like blood it does look, than fire. It looks pretty gory, yeah. Ha-ha! Oh, my God. Okay, Bilbo is knocked into a hollow Oh, log. my God. Oh. Oh, Torrin's being bro- the other, roasted alive. The, the, the three companions are now being roasted. See, this look more like Ents than Trolls. This is interesting. They look like they're made of wood, and they have... They do. They have leaves growing out of them. Well, remember, this was the very first Oh, yeah. Adaptation. I guess it is pretty vague. Um, so they wouldn't necessarily have any other basis for like what these things should look like, other than Tolkien's words. Yeah, true. And depending on the way he describes things, it's very confusing. Yeah, it- Okay, so now the trolls are turning on each other. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised the trolls are even in here. Yeah, you. I would have cut them out. With a 10-minute story, you'd think they would just cut them out. Oh, my God. I wonder if Bayorn will be in here. He's been cut from everything so far, so mm. <laughs> I don't think Bayorn's going to make the cut. Bayorn was in the Hobbit movies, wasn't he? Barely. Oh, okay. Like five minutes. He's barely in and the his book. Chapter is like the best chapter in the book, though. It's like twenty. It's like a twenty-page chapter. And it's a really unfunny sequence in the extended edition. Uh, what? 
Okay, so... Oh, okay, so this might be the Gollum scene coming up. He's going to find... Yeah, so Bilbo's falling down into a cave of some kind, into tunnels. It looks like the little... He's falling for a while. For a 10-minute film, they've dedicated a lot of this to falling. falling. He's still falling (laughs) as we are watching this. Okay, it's black now. Gandalf, okay. So, okay, so. Interesting interpretation of Gobbit, of Gollum. He kind of looks like. Gobbit. Gobbit. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of looks like the abominable snowman. Yeah. Oh. So Gollum is looking over Bilbo as he has fallen into the cave he where him super tight. the ring has been hiding. Okay, and so okay. somehow the ring is just magically on Bilbo's hand. A mighty leap on his broad hobbit feet. So no riddles in nope, the dark. Nope, bye Gollum. Galoom. Did this narrator mention that the ring turns him invisible? I don't think so. He just is describing it as a magic yeah. ring. Man, this So the this... the construction of Middle-earth in this version is it's like a a target. Yeah. And the and the and the misty mountain, the lonely mountain is in the very center. And it looks like Mount Doom, which is a little Confusing, but it looks like yeah. a volcano. Okay, I guess we're in the in Mirkwood. Okay, so no Rivendell. They're not. They're not looking. It's so oh, stupid. Yeah, no Rivendell. It's so stupid to see a princess with like a dress and a crown just walking around this forest. It looks more like a, f- a traditional fairy tale, I guess. I mean, Princess Peach does. Yeah, it, it reminds me of Princess Peach. <laughs> Okay. I'm liking Smog's design. It's interesting. I think you mean slag. Oh, I'm sorry. He only has three toes. Okay, so they're already there. Yeah, we're already there. How much? And Bilbo's sneaking up. (laughs) We have two minutes left. I think there's like one minute left, yeah. Oi. Okay. The Arkenstone doesn't belong to Dale. So Slag has the Arkenstone. Ooh. Okay, and apparently... Okay, this is their way of showing that how just purely lovely the Arkenstone is, but it's um kind it's of really pretty. It's kind of hurting my eyes a little bit. Mika. Oh, apparently he's in love with the princess. Wait, who is Smog or Slag? No, Bilbo. Uh, Bilbo. Uh, it said something about his growing love for the princess. Uh, of course. Ugh. 
Oh my god. That looks exactly like how they do it in the Hobbit movie. Oh my god. They, so, so they've constructed a giant crossbow. But the arrow has the Arkenstone as the arrowhead. So the Arkenstone in this version is paint is a heart. So it's pointed. And the point of the heart is the arrow tip. And he's and Slag's dead. You know what? If that brings further purpose to the Arkenstone, great. I, I kind of like that. What? Okay, so now he's. So he, uh, uh, Bilbo gets the princess, and then he gets to go back to the Shire. And that, that's the that's end. It. Okay. All right. Well, that was better than I expected. I because I've been, uh, you know, I'm coming in from the land of Soviet Union adaptations yes. and Bakshi adaptations. I was expecting that to be like a little nightmare fuelish, but it was not. It just looked like a children's illustrated book. Yeah, it literally just looks like they, you know, uh, painted like 10 pictures and then just went crazy with the camera trying to make something out of it. Um, yeah. Interesting, though. What yeah. would, uh, would, you, would you pay a dime to see this? Yeah. Yeah, right? I don't know. If you're walking around in 1967, that was pre-internet. You don't really have it's like, Ooh, a moving much picture. to do back then. Yeah, it's yeah. like oh. let's let's go. Yeah, let's go to the the pictures, the picture show. It's so funny though. Um, All right, <laughs> I like how we're saying that as if it's the twenties and not sixty <laughs> seven. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll ask my dad how people talked in nineteen sixty seven later. So, um, all right. So I've pulled up Wikipedia page to get some of the details that we might have talked over. Okay, okay. The Wikipedia description says a princess Mika is introduced to avoid having Bilbo as a bachelor. As if like out of this 10 minute film, that's what someone's going to walk out of and be like, how dare Bilbo be single? But does Bilbo get married? Does Bilbo get the girl? That's so weird. It's like the exact same thing, though. It's like they kind of create... It's kind of like the exact same thing as the Jackson movies. They just insert a female character to be a love interest. Who's a love to, interest, yeah. yeah. So there, it also says... It doesn't say Gollum. It says Gollum. Yes, and the trolls... G-O-L-O-O-M. This is, this is funny. <laughs> the, uh, the trolls are named... Are just called groans. Like, literally G-R-O-A-N-S. Like, groans. Um... And yeah, they look kind of like more like tree people, but I guess they're not technically trolls, but they still get s- defeated by sunlight. Oh, and then the mount uh he fell in the hole he f- the cave that he fell into was occupied by grablins. Grablin? What? I- oh, that's what those weird little things were. They kind of look like the, um Yeah, they were just like eyes with like They look like the necks. the withered f- souls that Ursula keeps in her yeah yeah. In the that's a, yeah exactly that so um I don't know that was that was cute whatever <laughs> there's really nothing much to say about there's, it yeah there's not that much um in elementary school I'm always having having this memory of um sometimes like a book would come with a like an illustrated book would come with a DVD or like CD accompaniment accompaniment yes <laughs> Um, and like our teacher would like put the CD in and there would be like a narrator with music underneath it and then they would play it and then, you know, turn, hold up the book. That's kind of what this gave me, yeah. um, of just a single narrator, um, who I believe it was Gene Deitch was the voice of everything. Um, narrated by Herb, Herb Lass. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Cinematography. Um, okay, that's a cute, that's a cute credit. 
um, but okay. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, okay, so, yeah, um, I mean, let's just, okay, so there's no dwarves. There's one dwarf, and it's, and it's Torin. His name is Torin. Actually, he's not a king, he's a general. Um, so he's not, so Princess Mika is supposed to be the royal character, I guess. And, uh, Gandalf lives in a creepy tower all alone, um, but just surrounded by mystic runes. It's interesting. (laughs) Uh, let's see. He's much more, um, I guess, wizardy. He is, but more like the, the wizard from like Fantasia. I appreciate that. Like, this is a 10 minute film, but they really nailed that Dumbledore vibe. I mean, that Dumbledore. God. How long have you been doing this? Do you know, I, I mean, I do that all the time, no, though. I don't like, the me. amount of times that I'll be editing and I just, like, say without even catching, like, in the recording, mm-hmm. saying Dumbledore, what I mean, Gandalf. Um, because The problem is that, like, it's also a Dumbledore trait. Anyway, yeah. Gan- the they really captured that Gandalf vibe of, like, here's a problem. Bye! Yeah, you're, like, <laughs> Gandalf watched from afar most of the time. And uh, let's yeah. see, there was no Battle of Five Armies. No Battle of Five, let's see, no, yeah, no Bayorn, no Rivendell, no Elves, uh, no, no Dwarves. Spiders. Um, no Spiders, the- no Barrels. That's fine, I don't know how they would have fit the Barrels in anyway. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't have the wood elves, then you, I mean, if you don't have the spiders, then you don't have the wood elves, then you don't have the barrels. This is really no. Um, it's just... I mean, they were in Dale, but oh wait, no, Dale Lake Town is the town that well, yeah, Dale, Dale was attacked the first time, and Lake Town gets attacked the second right. time. So there's no Lake Town, no Bard, our homeboy, no, nope. not here, and there's no um. I mean, yeah, we could go on forever about what's not. No oh. eagles. No, there's no eagles. No eagles. Um, hmm, they were able to get around um, but the there eagles. Is that, the, the thing that I do appreciate about this. So it, it's so funny to me how in the book, in like Tolkien's The Hobbit, the Arkenstone is like almost an afterthought. He doesn't mention it until like 150 pages in. And it's literally just described as like, what a pretty gem. Yeah. And it's like only... You know, it's just a valuable jewel. Right, it just means a lot. As opposed to, yeah, as opposed to in Peter Jackson's version, it's like cursed somehow or the treasure's cursed. That was never clear to me. Um, It's like it's the symbol of his lordship or or something. Well, no, like it's it's like the the symbol of the king of the mountains power is the Arkenstone. At least that's kind of what I got from the Jackson Yeah, that's something... Yeah, that's something that's like just not at all in the And then book, it gets but, dragon like, sickness. Yeah, and so the way that like Peter Jackson's version really hyped up the Arkenstone and then in this 10-minute version they also focused in on the Arkenstone. Again, interesting they're focusing on the weirdest detail of like the most minuscule details of the exactly. book. Exactly. Um Exactly, yeah. Um but I appreciate that the Arkenstone that was a fun little plot twist that they used I quite liked that. the Arkenstone as the arrowhead on this giant crossbow to defeat Slag. Yeah, and Slag's taken down by his own greed. Like, that's perfect. Beautiful. Yeah. Take notes, Tolkien. Um, And if, yeah, Tolkien's been real quiet (laughs) since this came out. I thought I would find something about, uh, I thought there was something that because this was the only adaptation Tolkien was alive for, that he, like, heard about it and was like, it's terrible, and... 
I didn't find anything about that, so maybe I, I think I just totally made that That's up. That's interesting, huh? Um, but I would have loved to know what, what Tolkien thought of, you know, Golum and the Grablins and Slag. Yeah, is it is it like a copyright thing that they couldn't use the real names or something like that? It's just so weird that they changed the I th- names. So what's really they funny is that, the, uh, is that Deitch and Snyder, like, they didn't know about Lord of the Rings. They ne- like they okay. didn't know about it. They hadn't heard about it, and had no clue that the Hobbit was at all related to this other much more major series of books okay. that was so extremely probably, popular so... at the time. It was so they, I guess, were just using this. From what I understand, when they originally acquired the rights, the plan was that Deitch would use this as a basis for telling some other, you know, fairy tale or, or you know, sto- bedtime That's story That's what this comes off to me as. Movie. It's, it's more of a traditional yeah. fairy tale than The Hobbit. I mean, the, the Hobbit is, I mean, Tolkien will always call The Hobbit a quote-unquote fairy tale, but the mm. Disney fairy tale that we kind of come to. Yeah. Well, we got that. Pr- I still can't believe that a 10-minute film has more. <laughs> there, there's a female character in this. Oh, boy. <laughs> Incredible. If they were progressive for the groundbreaking. time. Groundbreaking. Is it groundbreaking <laughs> if it's just so Bilbo can like take him and take her into I his know, little I hole? Know, yeah. yeah, that was funny. Just the way that. Was she um, even, was she, uh, so she was technically a, a human. So just like the, the, the size of Bilbo's house. Like you know when oh and how she how she gonna live yeah just in like there. constantly True. hitting the banisters and everything. True, maybe I don't know. Uh, we uh, we can poke holes in That's this a good all point. night. That's a good point. Maybe she's maybe she's just very. Short. We did this too late. We should have just a short princess. <laughs> we did this too late. You should have gotten um, Jean Deitch to come on here and like, explain this. You should have done this last year before uh, you died. I would have had to. I would have had to have him on. I think before I even <laughs> <laughs> before I even knew Talk how the ring was destroyed. Oh yeah. <laughs> The, like literally the only other thing I had to add is that Bilbo looks like in the claymation Rudolph movie, there's the elf, I think. Maybe it's not. No, that's his name. His name is Hermie, the elf that I'm thinking of. Mm. He actually doesn't look like him, but Bilbo looks like he's like rosy cheeks. Yeah. And he reminds me of some, I'm pick for some reason I'm picturing some like claymation Santa elf yeah, in my he head. He does look like kind of one of those. He's got like a nice uh, proper outfit that he still wears throughout the entirety of his mission. Yes. And he's got the hairy feet yeah. and the curly hair. So A plus for go. me, I guess. And they eat a lot. They put that in there. Yeah, it mentions that. Yeah, he gets into that mess with the, with the what do they call them? The groans because he's hungry. Speaking of groans. Are you going to make a terrible, oh, I thought you were <laughs> going to make a terrible joke and then I would just go, mm. oh. Uh, no, I thought, no, that would have been clever. Anyway. <laughs> Well, that's that's all I have to add. What what do you have to add, if anything? Uh, well, okay. So I asked you about this book if it, if anyone had ever talked about it, and it's um right the letters book. Right, I have this book, the the letters of Tolkien, which I um I really recommend if you if you're a genuine Tolkien fan because it gives a lot of insight. It's basically just a collection of letters up until around his teenage years when he was in World War One and he was writing back to his wife, um, way up until his death. So what's interesting is, so there's this, um, I'm wondering if there's any connection to this, actually, because this is a letter to a man named Rainer Unwin. This was written in April 8th, 1958. And an American film company had been proposing an animated adaptation of The Lord of the Rings way back in the 50s. Uh, so they were sending him letters about propo- about how to look over the storyline and if he had any notes. And you can imagine Tolkien had <laughs> 
notes. But even before he began to read it, he only sk- he only started to skim it. I'll try to read this as best as I can because Tolkien tends to do run-on sentences. And uh, so- <laughs> sometimes I, no. I, will, I will straight up lose <laughs> focus in the middle of a sentence. I'm like, what were we talking about again? So he's giving notes about how it is. And I'm just going to go and say, oh, um, the writer of the the storyline that he's referring to, his name is Zimmerman. And eventually they just shorten it to Z. I should say... Zimmerman, the constructor of this storyline, is quite incapable of excerpting or adapting the spoken words of the book. He is hasty, insensitive, and impertinent. He does not read books. It seems to me evident that he has skimmed through The Lord of the Rings at a great pace and then constructed his storyline from partly confused memories (laughs) and with a minimum of references back to the original. Thus, he gets most of the names wrong, in form, not occasionally by casual error. Sometimes, Boromir would be Borimor, or Radagast. He misapplied Radagast. Radagast becomes an eagle. The introduction of the characters and the indications of what they are to say have little or no reference to the book. So they may get... Radagast is not a wizard. He's an eagle. He's an eagle. Um, <laughs> I love this quote. I feel very unhappy about the extreme silliness and incompetence of Zimmerman and his complete lack of respect for the original. Oh, man. So how do you think he would have liked the Jackson movies? Based on that quote. I think he would have... I, th- I think he would have had a lot of notes on them. Uh, the header is Tolkien's comments on the film treatment of Lord of the Rings. Let's see. He's he's basically complaining... So the, the structure of this letter is he's giving a little header, and then he's basically got seven pages of notes of specific parts <laughs> of the storyline that he doesn't agree with. Oh. And I picked out the... My... Can you God. imagine? It reminds me of... Um, did you ever see that movie, Save, uh, Saving Mr. Banks? It reminds yes. me exactly... I think that would have been exactly what it would have been like. It would have been this stuffy it, British yeah. person who is just saying, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, over and over. Who would have been like, Aragorn's not supposed to be hot. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> You've got He's it all wrong. supposed to be... What the... Anyway, it, why is his sword fixed? Anyway, so this... I'm just going to go ahead and start off this quote, which uh, starts off, Zimmerman has intruded a fairy castle... And a great many eagles, not to mention incantations, blue lights, and some irrelevant magic, such as the floating body of Faramir. So he's just describing stuff that got added that doesn't make any sense or doesn't have anything to do with his book. I like that in that, like, magic castles and stuff, he also says blue lights. Yeah, we don't do blue lights around here. Like, that's <laughs> like that seems like the most mundane thing to throw in there to be, like, outraged but, by. Okay, so, to continue. He has cut the parts of the story upon which its characteristic and peculiar tone principally depends, showing a preference for fights. Again, I can't help but think of the the Jackson. Oh, he would hate Helm's I thought, I'll get to that, actually. And he has made no serious attempt to represent the heart of the tale adequately. The Journey of the Ringbearers. The last and most important part of this has, and it is not too strong a word, simply been murdered. Ooh. He did not like that they cut the hobbits kind of took a backseat. Okay, well, then make that, then no, that's on Tolkien. Because he made that the worst part of the story. Like, that's the, like, the, like, the, oh, hot, the journey, like, oh. like, Frodo and Sam with the ring is, like, one of the worst parts of Lord of the Rings. I mean, and I don't mean that, like, oh, it's a bad story. I mean, it that, boring, like, yeah. it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's depressing. It's relentless. It's slow. And but if you, if depressing. you are to condense the, all, I mean, this was trying to condense all three movies. So I imagine they were able to make some wacky scenes, but actually, I, actually, I'll get to the hobbits. <laughs> The first note, why should the firework display include flags and hobbits? They are not in the book. 
Flags of what? I prefer my own choice of fireworks. He continues to go on and says, Gandalf, please, should not, quote, splutter. Though he may seem testy at times, he has a sense of humor and adopts a somewhat avuncular attitude to hobbits. He is a person of high and noble authority and great dignity. The description in book one, page 239, should never be forgotten. I don't know exactly what that quote is, but I'm just wondering what they did with Gandalf in this. Like, splutter. What does that mean? It's like, um, stumble? I think they tried to make him a little funny. Maybe, maybe? like a wacky wizard, or like like Merlin and Sword of the Stone or something. But Yeah. Uh, and note number four. This is actually kind of interesting, because this gives a little introspective in his, writings, in his writing. Uh, here we meet the first intrusion of the eagles. I think they are a major mistake of Zimmerman, and without warrant. The eagles are a dangerous machine. I have used them sparingly, and that is the absolute limit. Sparingly? Twice. He used them like three times. Tolkien in The Hobbit, he uses them twice. Twice. And then he uses them another two times in Lord of the Rings. Because he rescues uh, the Eagles, rescue Gandalf from Orthanc, and then they come again at the uh, Black Gates. But apparently, Zimmerman. I've used them sparingly. Compared to Zimmerman, he put a lot in there. And and they're named Radicus for some reason. That still bugs me. Uh, Note 8, line 24. Uh, This is taking place in Bree. The landlord does not ask Frodo to register, exclamation point. Uh, Why should he? There are no police and no government. If details are to be added to an already crowded picture, they should at least fit the world described. Oh my god. It's like, I want to read this. I, like, want to know what they're doing to this thing. And, like, or (laughs) I also kind of feel bad for Zimmerman. He was just like, I didn't mean to i didn't know i'm just can you imagine there's like, no government you're you're sitting over here working on this animated film about the uh about lord of the rings and you're like oh my god i think i did a pretty good job of making this a fun film while also adapting a pretty major book series let's send this over to the guy who wrote it get his thoughts on it because obviously you know he wrote like he literally wrote the book on probably... it like let's get his thoughts <laughs> And, and then, like, sends it off thinking either he'll probably ignore it or he'll send it back and be like, this is terrible. Or he'll be like, cool. And then, like, just like. <laughs> I mean, some authors would be like, almost, cool, give me money. And yeah, Tolkien yeah, wasn't about that. Almost unprompted. He just like. Vicious. Like, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, let's keep going. He talks about some more geography stuff. And actually, I want to. I, I, I know. Uh. This is like the most Haley quote I've ever heard in my life, if you, you'll probably get what I mean. Um, Rivendell was not, quote, a shimmering forest. This is an unhappy anticipation of Lorien. Uh, it could not be seen from Weathertop. It was 200 miles away and hidden in a ravine. I can see no pictorial or story-making gain in needlessly contracting the geography. And that is the most Haley quote I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's like, the geography's fine. Don't change it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and then, okay, I think it keeps going on to, oh, this is, okay, he's got notes about um, the, the scene at Weathertop where the, the ring rave stabs Frodo. Uh, first of all, the Black Riders do not scream, but keep a more terrifying silence. In this, er- in this subject, I don't, I, this sentence, I don't know. Aragorn does not blanch. I don't know what blanch means. Blanch means. It's a character on the Golden Girls. That's all I know. Uh. <laughs> to flinch or grow pale from shock so it's like oh, something so, okay a character will say something and then like in response as like a shock okay someone so he is went, like he, aragorn blanched oh 
Aragorn is never caught off guard. He would guard. never be afraid. <laughs> anyway, uh, the riders draw in slowly, in on foot and darkness, and do not spur. There is no fight. Sam does not sink his blade into the ring wraith's thigh, nor does he thrust, nor does his thrust save Frodo's life. If he had, the result would have been much of the same as book three. The wraith would have fallen down and the sword would have been destroyed. Uh, he then goes on to talk about how he he's, he finds it very uh, needlessly unnecessary to throw a fight scene in the scene at Weathertop, which, again... Is exactly what Peter again, Jackson yeah, did. Yeah, which is kind of funny. Also, but like, I mean, he wrote... I mean, he didn't write like a full on, you know, battle scene or anything, but he wrote an action sequence of I, some sort. At I Weather think it Top. must. I think what Zimmerman was maybe doing was some uh, more he obviously swashbuckling and maybe punching ring raves or something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, in Rivendell, he says, time is again contracted and hurried. Gandalf does not say they will leave as soon as they can pack. Two months elapse. There is no need to say anything with a time propos. The lapse of time should be indicated, if by no more than a change of scenery in the trees. Oh, this is one of my favorite ones. So we get, uh, he gets to the point of the Balrog, and he says... Oh, yeah, I want to hear Note this. number 20. The Balrog never speaks or makes any vocal sound at all. Above all, he does not laugh okay. or sneer. Zimmerman may think that he knows more about Balrogs than I do, but he cannot expect me to agree with him. So he he had a talking Balrog that laughed, and Tolkien was not about that. And he's I just love how he's okay. like, I know Zimmerman thinks he knows more about Balrogs than I do, but I kind of made them up. I was hoping there would be a description of that, because I know, uh, I mean, a physical description of that, because I know that what the Balrog looks like is apparently a point of contention up for debate. I think, the yes. weirdly enough, the most realistic depiction, or the most book accurate depiction of a Balrog is the Bashki version. I think, at least. I can't even remember what um, Well, like. I mean, he doesn't look great. Oh, wait. No, I remember now. I remember He's, now. It's literally like a guy yeah, it, in, uh, <laughs> in like a Mothman yeah, Exactly. Costume. He looks like some weird teddy bear. <laughs> On stilts. But he's only like, Balrogs weren't supposed to be like 20 feet tall like they are in um, the Jackson movies. They're kind of only supposed to be like slightly above human sized. So that that's how like, <sighs> even though it has wings, it's weirdly enough that the most accurate adaptation of a Balrog. I'm just going to keep picturing Mothman, <laughs> honestly. Anyway. Okay, we get into two towers now. Uh, note number 31. <laughs> I deeply regret this handling of the Treebeard chapter. Whether oh, necessary. Yes. Whatever he's about to say, I'm with him. Whether necessary or not. I have already suspected Zimmerman of not being interested in trees. Unfortunate, since the story is so largely concerned with them. But surely, what we have here in any case is quite an unintelligible glimpse. What even are Ents? He goes on to talk about Helm's Deep, and this actually has something to do with the Ent thing. Um, sorry. Um, so he goes on to talk about Helm's Deep and how how he would fit into a movie. He says, uh, It would, I guess, be fairly meaningless scene in a picture. Stuck at... Wait. He's talking about Helm's Deep and the, the insertion of it. And he says, It would, I guess, be a fairly meaningless scene in a picture stuck in in this way. Actually, I myself should be inclined to cut it right out, if it cannot be made more coherent and more significant part of the story. If both the Ents and the Hornbird cannot be treated at sufficient length to make sense, then one should go. So he was saying, Damn. he was contemplating cutting up the Battle of Helm's Deep. Helm's like even, Deep. even Tolkien was like, you don't have to have that in there. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see. Oh, oh, I know I've said this is my favorite one, but this is my favorite one. Uh, number 34. Why on earth should Zimmerman say that the hobbits were, quote, 
munching ridiculously long sandwiches. I'm just picturing like a Shaggy and Scooby. Right? I was thinking Shaggy and Scooby like immediately. <laughs> Submarine sandwich. <laughs> like, like a Mary party and sub. <laughs> yeah, like Mary and Pippin on like either side. Yeah. And, they, and then they get to the middle and smooth. <laughs> oh Ooh. my god. Anyway, and then uh, he goes on to say, ridiculous indeed. I do not see how any author could be expected to be pleased by such silly, <laughs> silly alterations. One hobbit was sleeping and the other was smoking. That's it. I love oh. it. It's just like, uh, this, and this is also a good part of the Jackson movies. Z has cut out the end of the book, including Saruman's, Sar- mm-hmm. I almost did it. I almost did it. I called him it, Sauron. It, hey, it happens. <laughs> Uh, all right. Zia has cut out the end of the book, including Saruman's proper death. In that case, I can see no good reason for making him die. Saruman would never have committed suicide. To cling to life to its basest dregs is the way of sort of person he had become. So he was saying, if if you can't find like a good way to make him die, then don't make him die. And that's what the I can't help but think of the Jackson movies where he just gets impaled on a giant spike. Oh and god, just like, just like so violently and yeah, suddenly, it's like. Duh! And just like, oh. and it's just, it's just like, uh, yeah. If 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 Zimmerman wants Saruman tidied up, Gandalf should say something to this effect. Uh, Since you will not come out and aid us here in Orthanc, you shall stay until you rot Saruman. Let the let the Ents look to it. So that was like his that's suggestion. Literally, what Peter Jackson did, or that's what happened um, in the theatrical in the version. Theatrical right? cut. That's exactly how it goes down in the theatrical cut. I I remember thinking that in the theater, being like. What? What happened to him? Like, well, I knew I knew what happened to him in the book, and I probably didn't think they were going to do Scouring of Shire, but I'm, he's like, eh, he's none of our concern anymore. Like, he's not? Eh, okay. And then they just move on. And then part three, I think he's just talking about part three, which is, I guess, the end of the book. Quote, part three is totally unacceptable to me as a whole and in detail. If it is meant to represent only a kind of short finale, then all I can say is the Lord of the Rings cannot be garbled like that. And I don't know what he was talking about. I'm wondering if he wanted the five endings, like like so in the he Jackson just movie. Straight, he just straight up was like, rewrite it. This isn't good. The ending, garbage, garbo, yeah. throw yeah. it out. And and that they did. They did not pursue it's this just anymore. So funny thinking about like we love to make fun of Peter Jackson having you know. There's I think there's four fade fade to white or fade to blacks. Uh, at the end of Return of the King, and then just the like end. the fact that they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be even more than that mm-hmm. <laughs> in the book, and like that's exactly what Tolkien would have wanted. He would have been like more, more, <laughs> more fade <Fourth> to blacks, <laughs> and do, do it, uh, do an entire movie on the appendices as well. Um, wow, yeah, but that was really fun. I just love reading the the Tolkien. Well, he's that such, that he's was such a fascinating. Can, he's a cantankerous old old british man but i love him so much that's so fascinating <laughs> i wish we had more um comments or something from tolkien about having to buy the right the film rights to the hobbit back for a hundred thousand dollars like i wish we had something about that from tolkien's perspective of of you know in can you just imagine like in tolkien's notes or writings or whatever being like and i had to buy back the hobbit uh film <laughs> properties off of this worrisome american project <laughs> like, oh. that sought to make the hobbit a fool and add in a princess with a castle or whatever yeah <laughs> Yeah, it makes you wonder what he would have thought of this. I think he would have just said, "I think he would have been like, this is a silly project. Get rid of it.' Yeah, just get. You don't have to do this. Essentially, what they did, you know. Yeah, 
It's just, I mean, so, it's kind of a shame because an adaptation back then would have been cool. Probably, it probably would have gotten a lot more people into The Hobbit. But Oh, and then I think this is the first recording I've done since the biggest news came out. We have a name for the Amazon oh, series. Right. Oh, yeah, it we talked about that yet. The Lord of the Rings, colon, the Rings of Power. Do you hate that name as much as I do? Yes. It's, grammatically, it infuriates me. And then, dear listener, Jason and I went on a hour-long tangent surrounding the subject of the Lord of the Rings Amazon Prime series, which now has a name, The Rings of Power. And we both had a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts. And about 15 minutes into the conversation, I was like, let's just keep talking and I'm going to turn this into a bonus episode. So that is going to come out this Saturday. Stay tuned for that. Oh, my God. Okay, so... How do we end this? We just finished... <laughs> we just finished the first ever adaptation of The Hobbit. Um, so, Clay... Jason, thank you Wait, for in, coming in, on. Wait, in true movie night crew fashion, <laughs> uh, uh, one out of... One out of eleven minutes. How would you? What would you rate this? Uh, right. Seven. It has like a, a four on IMDb, but it's like, how can you judge it that harshly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like it, it's just it's a, a little neat, storybook. It's it's, with it's some far narration. less painful than like the Star Wars holiday special, as far as like fandom curiosities go. It's ten minutes long. It's cute. Yeah, exactly. Like I said earlier, I'm coming off of the Soviet Union one hour and two hour (laughs) adaptations. So the fact that I got, and also the fact that this was in English. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't have put captions on. I don't even think I had captions on the Russian one. I was like, what is going on? Oh man. Um, Well, Jason, thank you for coming on. Uh, What would you like to share with the audience, and where can people find you on the internet? Um, You can find me on the internet at. I have an Instagram, uh, pictures of J, J-A-Y, 9-0. I I do produce the Movie Night Crew Network, or the Movie Night Crew podcast, but in my spare time, I'm a a film photographer. So I take a lot of pictures of um, landscape and portraits all around the Richmond area. So if you want to follow me, I I shoot exclusively on film. So, you know. He's a cool kid. I got some cred. But anyway, (laughs) um, and then uh, you can also check out our show um, called The Movie Night Crew. Uh, we release every Sunday and is a, a – we kind of came up with the idea during quarantine when no one could, like, go to each other's house and watch movies. And once we were kind of finally able to, we were like, why don't we just, like, bring that experience to people's homes? If they are maybe stuck in quarantine, they can have a discussion amongst casual movie fan friends. And we cover a lot of different stuff, so – and they're, like, 30 minutes each. So I would recommend you definitely check out – um the movie night crew um if you like the restricted section tina and Haley, mm-hmm. brooke they're all on it yeah if you like the chaos um of the episodes that restricted section people are on oh actually definitely um, i want to mention i will point out that mary clay is on an episode she is on our prisoner yeah. of, she's on our prisoner of azkaban episode <laughs> that was it i couldn't yeah. remember like what movie i but i remember i came over one sunday night and we watched something and then we and then <laughs> we watched something like a show happened and then we left <laughs> the recording pro- the recording was pretty insane for that because we have very many very passionate Harry Potter oh my, fans. Well, it's also I would also say Prisoner of Azkaban is one of the most is the most divisive uh, Harry Potter film. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Our Instagram handle is uh, Movie Night Crew Network, and it's also Movie Night Crew on Twitter. You can uh, check us out both of those. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our shows like Late to the Party, who I believe should be releasing new episodes very soon if they are not already out. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. 
You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash TalkingAboutPod. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TalkingAboutPod. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsApp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TalkingAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. This just reminded me that I need to write the February newsletter. Uh, There's fun stuff coming up this month. It's really just crazy where I am right now in my headspace because I sat down and laid out the calendar and planning episodes and looking up new guests and... I'm excited about the future, y'all. Anyway, if you would like to support the podcast, you can become a sponsor like Alan. Alan, thank you for your continued support of That's What I'm Talking About. I appreciate it. I appreciate your fun DMs on Instagram with funny memes and reels. And thank you so much. So what are we covering next week? Well, we're going to talk about the big F. We are going to sit down and talk about fan fiction with Molly Knox Ostertag. While we won't be discussing a specific piece of fan fiction, I will leave a link in the episode description to Molly's fan fiction if you are interested, especially if you are interested in Sam and Frodo pairings. This is your bread and butter. But yeah, next week we'll just be talking about fan fiction in general. If you know nothing about what it is, if you have no interest in it, if you're curious about what it is, if you are a diehard fan fiction reader, it'll be a great episode for you to listen to. And uh, yeah, Mary Clay, thank you so much for having me on I've, I've been looking forward to this i can't believe we talked for two hours about uh a 10 minute i can believe <laughs> like it we start we started off with a 10 minute film and two hours later here like, we are i'm not sure we're gonna have anything to talk about Liter- literally, <laughs> literally before we started recording i was like yeah i don't know i'm just aiming to record for at least 45 minutes to an hour you know i'm not expecting to get like a two hour <laughs> like a two-parter episode out of this and then here i am definitely splitting this into one episode and then a, a bonus content episode so. so you're welcome you got two episodes perfect out of me. amazing <laughs> Um, Jason, thank you again for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Do I have closing words? Closing words. My closing words are, um, bye. (laughs) And that's what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about. Yeah.